Do we have awesome. Okay. One or two so, more? Yes, we do. I think at least have time for one more, right? Okay. Fair enough. Okay. So uh, I will definitely. Um, I want to get to all of the ones that we have in the room from the room today. But there's one from yesterday that I felt bad that I didn't get a chance to get to, but it's actually a little bit more appropriate for what we're talking about today. So okay. I just wanted to, uh, I'm going to take the license to use it today. So I hope you're listening today too, Helen. Um, she says, our documents were done a long time ago after we had our now adult children. They were done by an estate attorney in New York State. We don't think he was particularly good, and we don't even live in New York anymore. We've retired to Florida. We are interested in meeting with you to discuss becoming assets under management clients, and you mentioned that you do some estate planning services for out-of-state asset clients. Could you expand on that? What might you be able to do for us? Because I think we definitely need new documents, and we don't want to get them wrong again. Okay, well, first, I'm going to answer a couple questions that might not have been directly asked, but I think are relevant. Number one, a lot of times um, people think they need to redo documents just because the documents are old. All right. This is what I, and, and yes, there are some changes in the language that we're using now that we didn't use 20 years ago. Though Those changes are more subtle for whatever it is worth. The biggest problem with the documents that we review is not that they were old, it's that they were bad on day one. So, you know, if, if, this, if they had gone to a genius estate attorney in New York and uh, the only problem was that the documents are old, there's a good chance uh, that the documents are okay. All right. That's number one. Number two, they, people change states. Yes, most people will draft in their documents as we do. Um, you know, these, this will be, inter or this revocable trust will be interpreted using the laws of Pennsylvania. Um, well, if you move to a different state, you're, the differences in the state laws are, are relatively minor in the big scheme of things. I would not, if, if, if what you have is a perfectly fine estate plan, and the only change that you've made is you've changed residences, and let's say that there is no strategic difference between the different states. A lot of times there is because of, let's say, taxability of Roth IRAs or inherited Roth IRAs or inherited IRAs, et cetera, et cetera. But I'll just give you an example. So I love our estate plans, and I love the Lang's Cascading Beneficiary Plan. And of course, we have a lot of clients who, um, at some point in their lives, typically after retirement, they will sometimes uh, change residences, whether it's to the Florida, um, to uh, to be in the sun, or uh, perhaps maybe just as often to live with one of their adult children in the same city as one of their adult children, who typically have. Uh, children themselves. By the way, watch out for that, Grandpa. There's a good chance Grandma is going to want to move to a state where the oldest daughter. I don't have statistical numbers on this. This is anecdotal. The, where the where the daughter who has children lives. But anyway, um, <clears throat> if the documents were fine, just by changing states, you probably don't have to read. You don't have to change that again. So let me tell you what has happened more than once. We've done really good plans for somebody. They move 
And then without discussing it with us, they see an estate attorney there and the estate attorney says, oh, you have to redo all the documents. They redo all the documents. And as a courtesy, they, they write us and say, oh, by the way, we moved to Colorado or we moved to Florida or somewhere else. We had the documents redone. We always trusted you. What do you think of these documents? And we look at the documents and nine times out of 10, we're not happy with them at all. And we say, well, we don't like them because of ABC. And they say, well, what do you think that we should do? And I would say, well, just tear them up and use the ones that we did because they were perfectly fine. So just changing states, assuming that the estate attorney did a good job in the first place is also not a good reason to change documents. Rule of thumbs, you're supposed to redo documents every couple of years. I will tell you that hardly ever happens, at least with our clients, and I think most clients. All right, so that's one issue. Then the next issue is, but in this case, the question was, well, we didn't think he was so great in the first place. It probably, even if you did think he was great, there probably needs to be redone, mainly because it wasn't done right in the first place, or maybe because there are some differences that we ourselves are doing that we didn't do 20 years ago regarding the trust uh, related to the SECURE Act that relates to conduit versus uh, um, uh, accumulation trust, which I'm not gonna get into. But here's what I would say. If we were working with somebody either on a financial master plan or an assets under management basis, in order to get the benefit of what we do, we need to make sure that the estate planning documents, whether it's a will or a revocable trust or a beneficiary designation of a retirement plan, that has to be done right. We are not allowed to practice law without a license in Florida or, or any other state other than Pennsylvania, but we are allowed to work with you and your state attorney or maybe somebody that we recommend to make sure that if you like what we are saying that should be in your estate, plan to make sure that that actually happens. To be honest, it's a pain in the butt. We're, we don't get paid anything for it. We're not even allowed to charge for it. But to me, I think it's so important that that is part of our service with either the financial master plan or an assets under management um, a, a arrangement. Just because I don't want to do this master, this really a kind of a financial masterpiece. I'm very, very proud of our plans, obviously. And I think they provide enormous value, but I don't think retirement planning is a completely separate issue than estate planning. I think it's kind of a continuum. And to do one without the other is like saying, doctor, look at my right arm, but you can't look at my left arm. To me, a doctor has to look at all of you. To me, that's what we do when we see clients and all of you include your wills, trust, IRA beneficiary designations. So even if we can't draft them, uh, we want to be able to make sure that they are consistent with what we think are the best situation. So I hope that answers the question. Okay, I do have to move on though. Um, and I want to talk, I'm going to do this one briefly, but because it's not going to apply to the majority of the people here, but for the people who it does apply to, it's critical. When we talk about the SECURE Act, which basically says the um, inherited IRA or inherited Roth IRA must be withdrawn within 10 years, subject to a few exceptions. But one of the very important exceptions is if the beneficiary is deemed disabled or chronically ill. So if your beneficiary is deemed disabled or chronically ill, 
And how that, that determination is made is a whole other issue, which I'm not going to get into today. Then the old rules, the old stretch IRA rules apply. So for example, for our daughter, um, who is considered disabled, um, she will be able to get the benefit of the old stretch IRA for both our inherited IRA. And um, I think if you followed me, we made a $249,000 uh, Roth IRA conversion in 1998 when we had our fire. And um, we, our daughter will be more than a million dollars better off because we made that conversion. And she wouldn't be, if she wasn't disabled or considered disabled or chronically ill, she wouldn't have, she wouldn't have that benefit. So um, she would still have a lot of benefit um, because we would do everything that we could, but we would still be limited to the money has to come out in 10 years. But one of the exceptions to the SECURE Act is disabled or chronically ill beneficiaries. I cover that in depth, by the way, um, in, uh, well, maybe I could do more, but I did a fair amount in the book, Beating the New Death Tax. Um, I don't think we've talked about bonuses, but there's a slew of bonuses um, that, that we will talk about at the end. And, and one of the bonuses is a hard copy book, uh, Beating the New Death Tax. To be honest with you, there is no good reason Anybody who is on this call should not get that. It's free, no obligation. We even pay the shipping. Um, very frankly, we do it because we, we physically want a, a, present, a physical presence in your life. And we also find that uh, if you, if the, the, the benefits to us far outweigh the cost. And I'm a long-term player. A lot of times we're, get, we're getting work from people who we have sent books to 10, 15 years ago, who listened to my radio show that hasn't been on for about six years, who would follow my emails. <clears throat> Since 1998, somebody became a client recently and said, Jim, I've, the reason why I have a million dollar IRA, Roth IRA right now is because I was listening to what you were saying back in 1998. So anyway, we like the idea of you having a great resource, even if you have no intention of using us now. And even if you never use us, we made a business friend. That has to be a good thing because we gave you something of value for free and a hard copy. And frankly, I am old enough and most of my clients are old enough that we were old fashioned. I, when I read a book, <clears throat> I, am, I won't say I, I never use Kindle or an e-reader or read stuff digitally. I actually like a real book. And I get my yellow highlighter out a lot of times, <laughs> particularly for something that is valuable. There's a lot of highlighting on that. And I actually handwrite the, let's call it action points uh, as I read. And I think that that's the way a lot of our readers are. So anyway, do take advantage of those, um, uh, of that offer. And the point is, is that the book actually has a more in-depth discussion of chronically ill or um, disabled beneficiaries. And the difference between getting this right and getting it not right. And to oversimplify under the old law, let's say if you didn't get this right, um, or under the new law, if you have a disabled beneficiary and you don't get it right, which happens much more than it doesn't, this shows the projection of what, what given certain assumptions of what will happen if the uh, if you don't get it right, 
and the income is accelerated and the disabled beneficiary has to pay out the taxes within 10 years. And what it shows is given certain assumptions, that beneficiary will run out of money during their lifetime. And if you do get it right, instead of having the beneficiary run out of money, they might have close to $2 million. So this is not inconsequential. Now, this is what I would say. To save families hundreds of thousands of dollars is a very cool thing, and I love doing it. And it is important. And let's say that your kids are doing relatively well, maybe making 100,000 bucks, maybe marry and have a kid or two, and they have a savings account for their college. And I'm not gonna say that life is necessarily all peaches and cream for them, but they're doing okay. If they get a couple hundred thousand dollars extra, that is a wonderful thing. It can be, it could secure their retirement. It could give them options. They can send their kid to a better school, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But if you have a disabled child and that disabled child can't work and they are in a situation that they run out of or they're in danger of running out of money, when that could have been averted just by getting the estate plan right, that would be tragic. And that's in particularly I'm particularly sensitive because I have a disabled daughter myself. So I am very, very interested in getting that part right. And this is an area, if you do have a disabled child, where I become more involved in the estate plan than I usually do anyway, because typically the trust for those children need two things. One, they need to have the right language for the IRA. And two, they often need to have the right language to protect against creditors and to protect against any um, organization that might be paying some type of benefit to your child, whether it's a housing benefit or whether it's SSI or SSDI or a drug benefit or whatever benefit that that child might be entitled to, you want to preserve that, that benefit and have um, additional monies come to that child. So you need to have the trust right and the five conditions right. You have to have the creditor part right. And again, not very many people get that right. So don't, don't blow this. Okay. Um, and I, I already did this part of the uh, consultation. Okay. So now I promised what is the best estate plan for, again, I'm going to start with um, the Leave it to Beaver clients, original husband, original wife, same beneficiaries, etc. But here's what I would say is the best choice. And let's just talk about the original family unit, original husband, original wife, same kids, same grandkids. Well, there is, um, there are arguments for all the different generations as beneficiaries. So the natural argument or the natural beneficiary is your spouse. Uh, the spouse, by the way, is one of the exceptions to the 10-year acceleration of the SECURE Act. Um, and we love our spouse. We want to make sure our spouse is the primary beneficiary. On the other hand, <clears throat> maybe we want to have some kids get some money at the first death. Maybe that makes sense for um, tax reasons. You leave too much money to the spouse. Maybe the spouse who will now have to file as a single taxpayer will end up in more than, say, let's say you were in the 24% bracket. The spouse could end up in a much higher bracket, and particularly after 2026 when the tax rates are scheduled to go up, 
uh, the spouse could really get nailed. We're mainly talking about income taxes, but also potentially estate taxes and state inheritance taxes. So sometimes we want to have some money, uh, at least some money, going to the kids, typically equally, not necessarily, at the first death. The other thing is we might want to have some money going to trust for grandkids for a number of reasons, maybe at the first death, maybe at the second death. So there are arguments for all three generations getting money at the first and then at the second death. And here's the problem with trying to pick and choose who is going to get what and when. The problem is uncertainty. We just don't know so many things that it's impossible to make a determinative um, estate plan that is etched in stone that we're sure is going to be the right thing. First of all, what will the law be when you die? I will tell you the law is significantly different um, with the SECURE Act and the income tax acceleration on the uh, on the um, inherited IRA and the acceleration of the distribution of the inherited Roth IRA. It's so planning and what we do um, after death is significantly different than it was just two years ago, okay? We don't know what the law, now we know what the law is now, we don't know what the law is gonna be like when you die. I don't know, you know, who knows? And we could talk about the proposal and the most recent proposal, by the way, did protect the existing um, state tax bracket. So at least for a while, we're not gonna have um, a big, uh, reduction in the uh, federal exemption or exclusion amount, uh, we don't know who's going to die first. A lot of times we always assume that the male, who is often older and, you know, us men die earlier than you women, um, we don't know. We don't know how much money is going to be left. We don't know if it's going to be in a Roth. We don't know if it's going to be in a regular. We don't know if it's going to be. There's just so much that we don't know. We don't know what the survivor's are going to need. We don't know what their tax rates are. We don't know where you're going to die. You know, maybe, you know, I have a client who lived his whole life in Pennsylvania, assumed he would live and die in Pennsylvania. Uh, his daughters went to two different states in the West, and he spends six months with one and six months with the other. So we don't know where you're going to be. We don't know where your kids are going to live. And by the way, the laws of an, for inherited IRAs and inherited Roth IRAs, or particularly inherited IRAs, are much different depending on what state, both in terms of the amount of the tax, like California and New York, which is miserable, uh, or might be tax-free, like Texas or Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania isn't an inheritance tax-free, but is income tax-free for inherited IRAs. So again, we've done thousands of projections. They're all wrong. So rather than putting an etched in stone plan in place, and that is your typical, I love you, Will. I leave everything to you, my spouse. I leave everything to you, my spouse. If something happens to both of us, it goes to our kids equally. If something happens to one of our kids, then the amount that would have gone to that predeceased child will go into a trust for the benefit of uh, the grandchildren of that particular predeceased child. That is still an etched in stone, this is what's gonna happen, Will. What I think is better is to, of course, we wanna protect the spouse, we wanna protect, we wanna cut taxes. Is, is that fair? Could, could you put in a why if 
Yeah, you want to protect both of you while you're alive. You want to protect the spouse. After one of you is gone, we want to protect uh, the kids um, from taxes if possible. If you could put in a why, if that is your basic goal, if you're a leave it to be your family. Well, again, with the spouse, we have, again, an exception to the 10-year rule. We can do a tax-free rollover. There's no inheritance tax. Uh, there's no estate tax. Um, the spouse, again, gets the old favorable distributions. There's no minimum required distributions for Roth IRAs. Lots of good reasons for the spouse. Uh, there's some also some good reasons for the kids, which I'm not going to go on and on about, and the same with the grandkids. Um, but here's what I would say. Rather than the traditional, let's say, I love you documents, what if you have a flexible estate plan? And instead of saying, I leave everything to my spouse no matter what, you say, I leave everything to my spouse, but I give the power to my spouse, and the legal word is to disclaim money to, let's say, kids equally. So let's take two situations, two very simple situations. Number one, uh, spouse <clears throat> has a lot of money and they inherited both IRA and after-tax dollars and they their minimum required distribution on their IRA is gonna be way more than they need and the kids have some needs at the, um, now. It's relatively predictable that the spouse will never need this after-tax dollars. We could have the surviving spouse, the legal word is to disclaim money to the kids at the first death. Or if we look at the minimum required distribution of the surviving spouse, um, and it's gonna put them in a really high tax bracket, and it makes sense for some of the IRA or inherited IRA money to go to the kids at the first death, we can have the spouse disclaim a portion of that money using uh, something called the Schwartz 24% optimizer, which is a whole other story. And to have an estate attorney come up with that and not, not a CPA is really something. We have very quantitative estate attorneys.